Ephesians chapter 3 is we're going to find ourselves when we turn there. And let's pray and get to work. Lord, we thank you that your, your scriptures are alive and they're active and they're doing things right now that we need for our development and our growth. We pray tonight, Jesus' Christmas is coming, that we'll center our focus, our heart, our attention on you, and that you would be the center of all of our story, no matter what's going on in our world. Lord, we pray now that you'll redirect our attention towards you, Lord Jesus. And in doing that and looking at you and studying who you are and how you work, that we will be changed for the good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we have the, uh, the Jacksons here. And when you look at little Lucy Francis, you got to go, oh, squishy and cute and, and think about all the good things that God's doing in their world. And she's a gift. And she's a gift not just to the Jackson family. She's a gift to all of us. And little Milo and August, all of these children, Every kid in the room, every kid out there, everyone in here is a gift. It's, it's grace. And this is the season where we take the time and spend cash, you know, or credit or whatever. You know, we, we, we take the time during December, for many of us, as a tradition, to get things for the people that we love. And this is a good thing. I'm totally into the Christmas presents. I enjoy opening them myself. I, I do. I'm a big fan of the tradition. But at the same time, I think we could all agree that it's gotten a little out of hand. When the sales start before Thanksgiving, we're a little out of control, and we have all the, the presents under our tree. I don't know if you guys do that. We, we have them all wrapped, and it's fun to watch the kids come down, Joan and Lena, and just stare at them and look. We got a rule. If you, if you lift it and shake it, you have to wait an extra day. So, so no one's touching these gifts. They're like, we're hardcore. But it's great. It's like parental torture that's allowed. Like, we just get to watch them look at the tree and the mystery and the wonder of what's in those boxes. And the whole present thing, the whole gift thing, I think it is a great tradition, but it does bring out the dark side of the human race. Because what is grace and gift and present and like, wow, and thank you and appreciate can slip if we're not careful. And you see it happen. I see it happen in my own life, and you could see it happen in kids to expectation. To, okay, I got this whole list. How much Am I going to get from my list? Rather than, wow, I appreciate it. I don't deserve this, but thank you. We can slip from gratitude into greed and from awe and wonder into expectation. And, and we see where the culture is going. We live in a culture that's swimming with entitlement, right? I deserve it because I'm an American, because I'm alive, because I'm me. I deserve more, 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 and me, me, me. Now, now the beautiful thing of, of our life, like it or not, is we live in one of the most affluent countries in one of the most affluent times in all of human history. So, so gift giving is a small expression of the reality that we've been given a lot. But the question is, what are we going to do? We can give more and do more for good than any generation in previous history who have more resources and more ability to do more for the good of others. But the question is, will we slip into the cultural trap and take all the extra, all the bonus, all the good, and will we focus just on us? Uh, we're in the middle and towards the end of a series on generosities. We've been thinking about the Christmas season coming, and every week we've been highlighting various ways that we can be generous. And now as we're coming right on the heels of Christmas, we want to look at an example, and we see it in Ephesians 3, of what it means for someone 
to be transformed in the way they think, in the way they feel, and then in the way they live. What does it look like for us to slip out of greed and self-absorption and me, 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 and to live a lifestyle not just at Christmas, but all year round where we live a generous, a gracious lifestyle? I'm not just talking about in funding and in offerings and in giving, but in attitude and the way we see ourselves, the resources God's given us, and how we see other people that we come into contact with. We want to grow as humans, as Christians, as a church, in the area of generosity year-round. Well, what's it going to take for us to move in that direction? Ephesians 3, the story of Paul. Many of you, this is very familiar, but let's just read it, the first 13 verses. Ephesians 3. It says, for this reason, I, and Paul identifies himself, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written you briefly. He's in the middle of this letter. So Paul's saying, in summary, I received something, and you know where I come from. You know who I am. You know what I'm going through. But I let you know what God has taught me, verse 4. In reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, and then he defines it, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to unpack this in a bit, but let's just keep reading. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, for, um, of this mystery for, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the, um, now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your Glory. Now, this is a long passage, but tonight we're asking the question, what is it going to take to move us out of this bent, this human propensity towards me, towards self, towards greed, into a lifestyle of generosity? And it, it's really a simple and a profound concept, and it's right here in Ephesians 3. And it's one word. That's grace. We see the word grace pop in all through 13 Verses And tonight we want to think about what grace is and what grace does. Now, if you're new to the scriptures, Paul 
is one of those people you would never expect to write a letter like this. If you ever read the book of Acts in Acts chapter 9, Paul is one who is a diehard cultural Jew who is convinced that Jesus, who was born a Jew under the nation of Israel, was a false teacher who started a false movement. And Paul, seeing that Jesus was crucified, now made it his goal to crush the movement. There were lots of people, thousands and thousands, who started following the teachings of this rabbi, this so-called Messiah, this leader, Jesus. And Paul was convinced in his studies that he was off. And so Paul went from town to town with the leader's approval to take followers of Jesus and to cause them, first convince them that they're wrong, but if they wouldn't recant, to, to have them maligned or beaten or thrown in prison. Paul was dead set against the church, as a matter of fact. The first person who was killed for his faith, Stephen, Paul was there and gave full approval of it. But yet something happened. So Paul is the least likely candidate to have any relationship with this Jesus. But we, we look, if you read Acts 9, that he encounters Jesus, who is who he says he is, and who is alive, who is not in the grave, is alive and speaks to Paul by name and says, I want you, I'm paraphrasing, and I have something for you to do. And in that moment, something begins to change on the inside of this man. And he goes from the biggest enemy of the Jesus movement to the biggest proponent of the Jesus movement. And he moves from town to town. And now, as vehemently as he was convincing people that Jesus was not the way, now he's convincing people through the scriptures and with great power and authority that Jesus is the Son of God and he's alive and he's calling everyone and anyone to life in him and he starts churches in all of these cities. And so if you know and if you've ever studied Ephesians, Paul went there and shared good news and many believed and then he stayed there on another trip for two and a half years. He loved these people. And he taught and he prayed with them. The church was built up. And then he went off. And now Paul finds himself away in prison, falsely accused as someone starting a rebellion. And he's in jail. And his friends in Ephesus are convinced and, uh, that he's not going to get out. And they're concerned for him and they're praying for him. And he writes this encouraging letter to them to remind them what he already said when he was in person. He reminds them of grace. He's, Paul saw himself through the lens of grace. He knew who he was. He knew Jesus, who Jesus was, and he knew how Jesus had affected his entire worldview. And as we move towards Christmas and we think about our own lives and our own direction and our own bent, what we want is to be transformed like Paul. We, we're different than him, but we want to see that same transformation happen and it happens by grace. Look back at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Look at how he sees himself. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of who? Of Christ Jesus. And this makes no sense. Paul chooses to follow Jesus, obey, do the right thing, love people, sacrifice for others, and he finds himself in jail, which is just a good reminder that the way of Jesus is not always easy. Sometimes Jesus asks you to do things and causes you to do things that can put you in harm's way, can put you in danger, can inconvenience you. And so Paul sitting in a cell can write with confidence, I am not a prisoner of Rome. Now, he was a prisoner of Rome, and he was under Emperor Nero, and he was guarded by Roman centurions, so he was, in a sense, in a state jail. 
but he knew who he was. And he says, I am a prisoner of who? I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And listen, for the sake of you, Gentiles. He knew that the transformation that started in him, this little bit of time in jail was worth it because he had experienced God's grace. And if it took a small time in prison for the good of the church, if it took taking the beatings, which Paul did on many occasions for his faith, he was okay with that. He was willing to take the good and the bad. He was convinced, I am a prisoner, I am a slave, I am a servant. All throughout his writings, he uses all of these terms, but he identifies himself with Jesus. He says, I'm on the Jesus team. And when you truly encounter Jesus Christ, it does not guarantee good times all the time. It doesn't. But when you know him, God's grace, as we're going to see Paul lay it out, will be enough for you. So Paul sees himself not as a prisoner of Nero, but rather as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So what motivates Paul? What motivates us towards sacrificial living? What can motivate you to go against the tide of greed and self towards generosity. And it's that word, grace. Now, what is grace anyway? Best definition I can think of, grace is God's mind-blowing goodness to undeserving people. That's not a technical definition, but it's mind-blowing. When you think about what God would do for someone as anti-Jesus as Paul, someone who's murdering Jesus' followers, it's mind-blowing that God would, one, think about Paul, let alone offer rescue and change and forgiveness for Paul, and now make him one of the lead spokespeople for the Jesus cause. God's grace is his mind-blowing goodness. Paul could experience goodness whether he was out of jail or in jail, whether he was in pain and suffering or in abundance, he knew the secret to contentment. It was that in God, there is enough goodness to make it through whatever I'm going through to undeserving people. And I think if you, if you take out one of the words, you may miss one of the elements of what makes grace so special. It's that God is better to us than we deserve, and he's not waiting for us to be right for him to be good. That is the whole essence of grace. God's good to people who aren't. Now, you could read the scriptures as a bunch of just random sayings throughout history, but as Paul looked at the scriptures, he finally, in Jesus, was able to put the story together. Just look at verse 2. How did Paul come to this conclusion? He says, verse 2, Surely you've heard about the administration or the plan or the management or the design of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, and then he's pulling on these Bible themes, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Paul had the equivalent of a Harvard PhD in theology. He was one of the most learned, brilliant people of his time. He memorized the Hebrew scriptures. He knew them by heart. He, did not, he not only knew the words but he knew the teachings about the words. But somehow he didn't connect all the dots of what God was doing in the world. So he knew the story of Abram and that God, because Abram expressed faith in God, that God was going to take Abram's children, his sons and daughters and their kids and their kids, and he was going to create a family, later called Israel, and that 
the entire earth was going to be blessed by this people. And he knew that God was faithful to this, to these descendants of Abram, to the people called Israel, and that even when these people were rebellious and didn't care and were unconcerned about God or his laws, that God was faithful. See, Paul knew the Bible's story, and he knew that God was for his own chosen people, Israel, and he knew that non-Jews, these Gentiles, those far from God, that they would somehow be blessed because of this people and their special relationship with God. But Paul didn't get the whole story. And now he says, like, there was a bit of a mystery. What's going on now? He says, the mystery has been revealed, and he wrote them about it. Now, what is, what's the mystery? Look down at verse 6. He says, the mystery is that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together. Notice the together, together, together. Shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul finally was exposed, and by the Spirit of God, he saw how Jesus fit into the bigger story. And, and this is it. You need to get this. Sometimes if you read the first half of the Bible, it seems like God's really like for one people called Israel. And then you read the second half, the Gospels, and into the epistles. You read the New Testament, and you're like, Wow, Jesus seems to be broadly for everyone. And Paul got the mystery, which other people didn't realize, is that, yes, God was always for everyone's rescue. And that the plan for Israel is that the entire world would see how good, how gracious, how kind, how mind-blowingly nice God will be to undeserved people. But God's design from the beginning, and it happened through the coming of his son, Jesus was that anyone, anywhere, at any time could experience God's goodness. And that's the story of grace. And this is a mystery. Now, now people, Jewish rabbis like Paul and others, knew that those far from God could somehow see God. But none of them in the first century, none of them at the time that Paul is writing, would ever conceive that non-Jews who don't study Torah and don't follow God's rules and God's laws and don't worship a temple, none of them would have ever believed that they would be equal to those who were born in the family called Israel. None of them ever conceived that. But in Jesus, we see God's plan fulfilled, is that God is for everyone. So here's the beautiful thing. When you think about your life, you don't have to have some long pedigree and some long spiritual history and heritage to experience God's amazing grace. You don't have to go to church for five years, 10 years, 15 years to somehow get good enough or wise enough or smart enough to have goodness in your life from God. Because of Jesus, anyone, anytime, anywhere, even you tonight, no matter what you have done, the good news that Paul experienced and the good news that he shared, and for the last 2,000 years has been shared in generation after generation, is that God is not looking for great and good and perfect and nice people. He knows us. He knows every detail of your life. He knows every detail of mine. And I am not consumed. I don't blow up. I'm not under God's fire. I am alive and I'm breathing and I'm ready to enjoy a nice meal in a few minutes. And I get to do that not because I am good or kind or call myself a Christian. It's because God's grace. 
And when you think about what so many of us take for granted, because Paul's a rap sheet, so to speak, because his history was so bad, he never moved past the goodness and the graciousness of God. He never got so full of himself and so enamored about all that God was doing in his life that he forgot where he came from. Paul was a recipient of God's grace. And Christmas is the season. It should be the season where we are reminded, especially those of us who have already chosen to follow Jesus, that everything is a gift. Would you agree? Everything that you have is a gift. Now, you may not be a follower of Jesus yet. You may be here with a friend or a relative, and they say, let's do the Christmas thing and have hot cocoa afterwards or whatever. You know, I, I, I don't know what got you here, but you need to hear loud and clear that God's position towards you right now, whether you love him or you don't, God's position towards you is grace. God's longing to show you goodness, mind-blowing goodness in your soul. He wants to transform all of us from the inside out. He wants to recreate us to be the people that he intended from the beginning. And it's grace, it's the receiving of God's goodness towards us that sets you and me on the path to life. Paul says this was a mystery, but it's no longer a mystery. So Paul is willing to endure the hard stuff so that this church in a city called Ephesus or us as a community here based in Hillsboro and all across the Sunset Corridor, let's be reminded this season that all of life is a reflection of God's grace. God has been good towards you and been good towards me. Now, is life perfect and is all of our situation good? No. But look at Paul. Writing as a prisoner of the state, he could say with confidence, I've experienced God's grace. And you remember, Paul was a murderer. Paul had no right to call himself a Jesus follower, let alone a leader in the church. But by grace, it was happening. Now, grace means for you and me. What does it mean? It means, number one, that we are accepted. When you think, what does it mean to be a person who receives grace and lives out of God's abundant grace? It means that you're accepted. And if, if God would kindly take someone like Paul and all that he had done, it's a reminder to you and me and to those of us who encounter those who could care less about Jesus, care less about the church, care less about Scripture. Let's not look at people through the lens of what we can see on the outside. Let's look at everyone that we meet this week, especially as we get together for Christmas parties or family gatherings, no matter where the people that you're going to interact with this week, no matter where they are with God, let's not forget that they're just one step away from God's grace. And that if they'll just open their eyes to what Jesus has already done and already provided, that they can stand before God and say, I'm accepted. And tonight, if you're here and you've chosen the way of Jesus, you need to know that no matter what you have done in the past, and, and sometimes, let's be honest, it comes back to haunt us, just because you choose to follow Jesus, if you're here in your 20s or 30s, and maybe you've made a mess of things in the decades or years past, and does it mean that you'll never think about them again? Does it mean that you'll never from time to time have regret about, man, I wish if I, if I could go back, I would do it differently. But it does mean that no matter where we come from, that because of the grace that's in Christ Jesus, that you can stand firm-footed in the presence of God and say, I'm accepted. And so Jesus doesn't just bring us in as friends. Scripture through and through calls us sons and daughters of God. There's no closer relationship. When you think of little Lucy into the Jackson family, she's a daughter 
of Dustin and Andrea. There's no closer relationship. And because of God's goodness, because of God's grace, because of Jesus tonight, if you'll accept him, if you'll receive him, if you'll open up your arms, so to speak, and say, God, I need a dose of goodness in the middle of my own personal mess, then you can leave here fully confident that you've been accepted. Look at what he says in in verse 7. Because he's been accepted, what happens? Let's just say you receive God's grace, and you say, you know, I I know my baggage, I know my stuff, but I I want God's goodness. Look at what happens as a result. Verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift, again, of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So God's grace, his goodness towards very undeserving people, yes, it gives me the ability to stand before God completely accepted, completely right, like a son, like a daughter. I'm no longer estranged. No matter what I've done to offend God, it's been forgiven. But secondly, it begins to transform the way that I live. So God's grace means that now you can make a difference. Now, this totally sounds like self-help. I'll admit it. This sounds like, you know, cheesy old-school Tony Robbins or whatever. You know, if you read my book, you can make it. You can do it. And that's not what this is. This is a reality. Because of God's grace, because you stand accepted before God, now, by his enabling power, notice what he says, I became a servant. I became a slave. The word is diakonos, where we get deacon. I became a humble servant of this good news by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of whose power? Of his power. So all that Paul was able to do, post his receiving the gift of grace, post his turning to Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith, now when he looks back at his life, he sees a long list of amazing things. When you look back at the early Jesus movement, probably more than anyone else, even the ones who walked with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, When you look at the first century, those first few decades, the Apostle Paul probably had more influence than anyone else in fueling people experiencing life in Jesus. And and all of that he was able to do, he recognizes it wasn't because of his intellect, although he was a smart man. It wasn't because of his affluence, although he was a Roman citizen, which gave him privileges. He gave credit to everything that he did Back to God's grace. See, God's grace isn't just God's goodness towards you to accept you. His grace is his day-by-day power to be a great parent. It's his day-by-day power to be a good witness where you work or where you go to school. It's his day-by-day power to choose the right over the wrong. God's grace doesn't just happen at the moment that you trust Jesus Christ and then Jesus says, great, I want to see some fruit out of your life. Good luck. No. God's grace is there day by day to give us the ability to do what we could never do. So when you think about your life and the areas you would love to see transformed, don't you forget this Christmas season that God's gift to you is acceptance if you receive him. But on top of that, God's gift to you is daily power. And so when I don't feel like I am enough or I can do enough, or I have enough, I don't have to tap into my own well of ability. I can humbly submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I need your grace. Now, one of the beautiful things about being a part of a community is you see this lived out. 
And I am so grateful, and this is the season of giving and generosity and thanksgiving, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of a community that lives by grace, by God's enabling power. And uh, you know, some of you come right before the gathering starts, but there are many people who come here hours before every single week, volunteer, give of their time and energy to serve the rest of us, to make sure the chairs are set up and the coffee's brewed and the tea's teed or whatever. You know, like they, they, they prepare the food and there are people who stay afterwards, long after you're gone and make sure everything's cleaned up and cared for. And I thank God for a community of people who are willing to not just be recipients of God's goodness, but are willing to give it away. Uh, I love to hear stories about missional communities, uh, small groups of people who meet in homes and coffee shops and workplaces all over the city. You know, you hear of ones that are led by 20-somethings who are trying to gather people. This blows my mind. Single people in their 20s trying to gather people to care for uh, the kids who are coming into foster care and families who, who officially go in the system and take in a foster child. Uh, they need a break. And so you have people in their 20s who aren't maybe not yet married or don't have any kids who are, by God's enabling power, saying, I want to help out and I want to provide an evening for those parents who are taking kids into their home for them to have a break. When I hear stories of people who seemingly have no reason to care for those parents who are taking in foster kids, but when God does something within you, it gives you the desire to do something else for the good of others. And the telltale sign of someone growing in maturity in Jesus Christ is not just by what they do that looks glorious on the outside. It's by what they do by God's grace. It's the small things that are done behind the scenes. It's the sacrifice. It's the giving away when they could receive. And let me tell you, we are a part of a community where that is evidenced all over the place. So I just want to say to you as a church, on behalf of all the leaders, well done. Well done for all you are doing by God's power. But as we look to 2014, let me tell you, we are just getting started. When you start praying that God will give you opportunity to, need peop uh, to meet people's needs, you know what God's going to do? He's going to provide us opportunities to meet people's needs. So let's just prepare ourselves. God has graced you. He's accepted you. He's brought you into his family. And now, out of the overflow, let's ask God this season and moving into the year, to empower us afresh for greater sacrifice. So like Paul, he's willing to take the heat. He's willing to be in prison for the good of others. So God's grace means he accepts us. And God's grace means that he gives us the power to do what we cannot do in our own strength. And thirdly, God's grace says that you're forgiven. And this is where it comes home. Because Paul had his story, and you have your story, and I have my story. Grace is God's mind-blowing goodness to the most undeserved people. And when I think about all that I have done since I started following Jesus, my own sin habits, my own shortcomings, I just want to thank God again and afresh this season for his great grace towards me. Even now, his grace says, I'm forgiven. Look down at verse 12. It says, in Jesus and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
Now, how in the world could Paul say that people like us, unlike God, in the way we think, in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, unlike God, in the way that we act, in the way that we behave, how could Paul say that you and I could come to God with freedom, with confidence? It's because God's abundant grace. He says it elsewhere in Romans 5, verse 1 through 8. Let me just throw it up on the screen. It says, therefore, to this whole Christian community, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith, listen, into this grace in which we now stand. Now, that's a mouthful. Because I've been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God. That's what Paul's saying there again in Ephesians 3. We can come with freedom. We can come with confidence because God, by his goodness, not only by grace, makes us right when we are so full of sin, not only when we express our faith in Jesus, does he change our position and take us from an enemy of God into a child of God, but he says, into this grace in which we now stand. And if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter where you are on the spectrum, if this is new or if you've been following Jesus for decades, you need to be reminded that God's grace is enough for you in every situation. And this may have been a horrific year. This may have been the best banner year of your life. No matter where you are in that continuum, God's grace is enough for you. And so he says, back to Romans 5, you see, at just the right time, and this is the essence of grace. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. If you're new to the whole Jesus story, if this whole church thing is, is, is brand new to you, let me just make it plain. While I didn't care about God, God in his mind-blowing goodness, in advance of me being here, sent his son so that me, while I didn't care about God at all, he would send his son to be the sacrifice for the things that I've done. My friend, that is mind-blowing. And, and so much so that Paul has to explain. He says, now very rarely will anyone die for a righteous, for a good person. And then he throws in the clause, for, for a mother-in-law, someone might possibly, you know, dare die. For, for, you know, for someone good, you, you might possibly die. This is just so unlike us. It's so unlike us who default to personal survival and personal gratification, but God's not like us in that regard. He's full of love. He's full of kindness. He's full of grace, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Us just sounds too vague. Just, just hear that this Christmas season. While you and I we're powerless. While you and I were sinning, while you and I didn't care, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, he died for you. So, so when you think about this concept, grace is such a, like a nebulous term. But let me tell you, grace is active, and, and you can see it. And so when we look at the Christmas story moving towards the Easter narrative, we remember that God actively took part in bringing us from death to life. And so now, on the flip side of it, post-Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection, we can experience freedom in God. And so that means through faith in Jesus, you and I can approach him 
with freedom and with confidence. So what does this mean? God's grace means that you can be accepted here and now. You can be welcomed into the family of God. Like the few days before Christmas and the celebration and the presence and all that is that makes this season, you can experience life and welcoming into the family of God right here, right now. It means that you can experience God's power. The power to forgive people who have hurt you deeply. The power to love people that you don't care about. Remember back to Paul for a second? He grew up as a good Jew hating Gentiles because they were enemies of God. Hating them because their position was God, uh, uh, towards God was as enemy. So anyone who's an enemy of God is my enemy. So Paul grew up with a disdain for those who are outside of the people of God. But what happens when he experiences Jesus? You know what he does? He spends the rest of his life loving, serving, sacrificing, caring for the very people he grew up hating. And that's what grace will do to you. If you experience God's freedom and God's love and God's acceptance, you will begin to be transformed in the way you see people. Why? Because God's overwhelming goodness can even overrule our bad mentality. And God can do in you and give you the power to do what you cannot do yourself. It's love people who have hurt you deeply. And so tonight, we want to invite you to Jesus Christ. Tonight, we want to invite you to experience God's grace. And finally, God's grace offers us complete forgiveness. The past is gone. Elsewhere, Paul would say, the old is gone and the new has come. And this is all gift. It's all God's goodness. And none of it can be earned or wrestled with or accepted because of what you and I have done. It is 100% God's grace. And so tonight, I don't want you to think that if you'll just be a, get a better person, Jesus will love you. And tonight, I don't want you to leave her thinking, if I just go to church and I just follow some rules and I just change a few bad habits, that Jesus will love you. I just want you to leave knowing that right in the middle of your current circumstance, Jesus loves you. And he's already proven it by dying and rising again for your freedom. But now he calls you to receive him. And so tonight, before we sing a few more songs, before we go to the table and receive the bread and the cup, before we experience a meal and hang out and just hug each other and love each other and wish each other a great Christmas, we want you to experience this life that is in Jesus. Now, if you want to know what grace looks like, just look at Jesus. Jesus is grace in motion. Jesus is grace lived out. And so if you want to live the grace-filled life, well, let me tell you, follow Jesus. And so no matter where you are tonight, we want to call you to faith in Jesus. Paul went out sharing this message, and a few people in Ephesus were transformed, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and the movement grew. And tonight, I pray, and we've been praying all day that one, two, three, five, ten of you would experience the grace that is in Jesus Christ.